0: Welcome, Redeem family and friends and all the people that we have listening across the world. And you know, that's probably just a slight exaggeration. We know that we have people that listen into Florida. So shout out to Florida. We've got people who are listening in Alaska. And, and then you know, if you think about it, I've got family in Texas and so they listen and Texas is kind of a world all on its own. So, it, you know, we're making some traction here, but welcome and we are so pleased that you're with us today. We're going through the book of Colossians. And our goal in looking at the book of Colossians is to better understand what are the mechanics and the structure of a church for the 21st century. You know, it's interesting because sometimes we look at this book and we wonder why would you go through Colossians that was written 2,000 years ago to be able to set up a relevant church for today. And what's interesting is that the very things that are at the foundation in the church at Colossae are some of the same things that individuals struggle with and need to have victory in today. So the book is actually going to give some amazing and very practical insights as to what a healthy church looks like. And I think it's interesting because you have uh, Paul who is in prison writing to a church that he's never been to, but he knows that if these things are in place, it will go well. You will be able to impact your community. And so, so far, these are the things I just need to <clears throat> let us go backwards a little bit to catch up, because we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. It's the very last paragraph of the first chapter today. And in that, we're going to see some uh, pretty difficult uh, outline that Paul's going to give in terms of, now, if you're really taking things serious, this is what you're going to have to know. So he's going he's to take us there. But before we do, let's, let's slow down a little bit and look what he did at the beginning. First, he says this, basically, that if you're able to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you really have faith and you can love people through the spirit of the living God, then you can and will be able to create change. And then he goes on and says, this is the kind of change that you need to have. You, you need to be able to de- develop and build relationships that are so real, so deep, that you can have hard conversations and help people to move from one level of living to another. And so we call that being a change agent and then the third thing he said is that in this quest that we're on you're not alone we're together we're a family really seeking to build that type of a community and it's not just a community uh, that makes life better it's a community that opens the door to eternal life and then he says speaking of eternal life this is what we hit on last week he said there's a domain of darkness that you need to be able to overcome and so let's make sure you understand that evil's gonna work against you. And then basically he says something like this, but but don't worry because Jesus Christ has broken the back of the enemy. He's opened up the door of heaven. And so now you just go and kick down the gates of hell and it's gonna work. I mean, it's that dramatic. And so if you think that that's uh, strong enough, now he's gonna move to another place of saying, uh, there's one more area that we need to really make sure we get right. But before we do, I can almost see, you know, Paul's writing this letter. I'm in a room right now with uh, two gentlemen as we're taping this. And Paul was in a prison cell with two men as he was writing his letter 2,000 years ago. And this fascinates me because I can almost see them looking over his, his shoulder as he's writing it. And they're going, and one of them is Timothy, his protege, and the other is Epaphras, who started this church in Colossae, right? And I can almost see them saying, yeah, Paul, that's really good, but you're getting kind of harsh there. Uh, you know let's just sign off now you've hit some good things remember people can only take you know a little bit so that's like uh enough sign it say you love them and i'll carry it out but uh paul he's looking at this letter and he goes you know what there's another area that's going to really cause everything work, to work together and here's what it is and that's where we now are going to find ourselves in the uh, passage that we're looking at today i want to invite you right now to do a couple things. One is, you know, grab your Bible and open it to Colossians chapter one, and look at verses 24 through 29. I'll be reading out of the New American Standard, and I encourage you to read along with me. And the other thing I invite you to do right now is, is almost like just take a deep breath and, and, and think about what Paul was trying to accomplish. He was trying to do nothing less than encourage a group of people in a declining city to change their community and to be able to impact people on an eternal life level. That's what he was trying to accomplish. And he was giving them advice as a man who had walked this out, who had done this. If anybody has a right to give hard advice, let's think of who Paul was. He'd been left beaten. I mean, he was beaten and left for dead twice, shipwrecked. And the litany goes on to some of the hardships this man faced. And now he's in prison, not knowing how much longer he's going to live. And he says, listen, church, if you get these things right, then your life will count. You'll be able to carry on a legacy that's going to make a difference in your community, and it's going to impact people forever. So that's what was at stake for him. And I just want us to make sure we let that sink in. Sometimes we uh, look at a... um, a message as if it's informational content that we may consider. This isn't stuff for us just to consider. This is stuff for us to understand how it might apply in our everyday life because life itself depends on it, right? And so that's, that's the heartbeat by which Paul is writing it. And I'm just asking us to make sure that we get uh, in that, that mode of really wanting to receive the word and have it come to life. So I want you to read along with me. And this is what it's going to say in the 24th verse of chapter 1 of the book of Colossians. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. So that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested in and to his saints. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. All right, this is a lot to unpack. But when somebody starts off with, now I rejoice in getting to suffer some afflictions. That's a hard statement for me to even lean into. Not only that, but then he says these afflictions are the ones that are lacking from Christ. And so I'm sitting here wondering, the first thing that that comes to my mind is what are the afflictions that we're lacking? And so I think we need to ask ourselves that, and then we need to be able to recognize if something is lacking, what is our role? What is our responsibility? Paul said that he had a personal responsibility to fill up some of these afflictions so that the body would be healthy. First of all, I want to suggest to you that the afflictions of Christ are not two things, because this is what we learned last week, right? They're not anything to do with the payments not in full, we're not forgiven well enough. Remember, we were told that Jesus Christ redeemed us and that we are fully forgiven in Christ. It's interesting because Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, and I want you to hear this, 172 times. 172 times Paul says, in Christ, in Christ. So in Christ, we've been forgiven. In Christ, we find our life. In Christ, we are able to overcome. It's gonna go on and on because it's so important. And we are in Christ because we've been redeemed by Christ. So that means we're completely forgiven. We are made pure by the blood of Christ. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves purer than we are. And right now, I'm just in my happy place. I understand why he says rejoice and and be able to move these things forward because people can be made free from sin. Clean as you can be, pure by the blood of Christ. And then he's also going to tell us another uh, insight from last week is that we've been reconciled as well. And so reconcile means we've been restored. We've been reinstated to be able to move forward. So not only was the payment made in full, but we've been placed in a position to be able to serve him regardless of what went on in our life prior to this point. And so, uh, you know, I think of individuals, I've known a couple of amazing individuals and some of them have been to prison, uh, and they have a felony on their record. And what's interesting is uh, if you've ever filled out a job application, you know you're going through it and then it'll have all this stuff. You can look at that application, you can man, I am a perfect fit. This would be a great job. I could bring value to this company. This is, they're gonna be so happy that they hired me. Then you get down and there's that box. Have you ever created a felony or been convicted of a a felon? And if you check that box, you know that most likely you're gonna be passed by. And what a hard thing, you know, to to disqualify somebody because of their past. And what I want you to know, and first of all, uh, felons, in my book, uh, we're all felons. We are all felons. Jesus even said that anyone who has hatred toward another person and calls them a fool's guilty of murder, and so we like to sometimes be judgmental and say, because you've done this or you've done that, that you are quote unquote worse than me and you don't deserve to be able to be given opportunities. In God's design, everybody's given an opportunity. Everybody gets to serve free again. We've been reconciled. So our afflictions aren't trying to make ourselves worthy enough to get to be reinstated to do the work. Those are not the afflictions. And so uh, those of us uh, who may have created uh, some kind of a crime, uh, just know you're not disqualified. Check the box. Allow God to do something miraculous in it and watch him push you forward because that's what he does. He isn't worried about what we've done. He's committed to what we're going to do with him. And that's the beauty of it. So the afflictions aren't pay the payment, aren't try to get into a place of service. That's not the afflictions. I would suggest that the afflictions that are being spoken of here is the fact that Jesus Christ was rejected. The greatest affliction, the greatest suffering he felt, I believe, and we can, we'll look at this and make a, a stand for it, was rejection. If you think about it, Jesus' first message was repent for the kingdom is at hand. So he said, can you change? Would you be willing to change? Allow me to change you so that we can change the world through you. That's what his goal was. And many people responded favorably to that and they were following him. And then he would even said to them, now as you're changing, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be willing to pick up your cross And if you're not willing to pick up your cross, you're really not gonna be set up to be able to make the difference that I'm talking about. You have to be willing to pick up your cross and not only pick it up, but you gotta be able to pick it up daily. And he told his disciples this more than once. He told them twice, towards the beginning and towards the middle of the ministry, because he wanted to make sure that they knew that there was work to be done, that you get to pick up your cross. And we don't have to pick up his cross. Again, the payment's been made, the position is, is secure, we're in him. But there is a responsibility that we have. And in that responsibility, part of our cross is to literally point people to Jesus. Our cross is to be able to love people that are difficult to love. Our cross is being able to actually speak the truth in love and build a community that can handle that and can grow and can change. So that's part of what our responsibility is. Now, can you imagine Jesus going through saying, you need to pick up your cross? He's doing everything right. He's healing people. He's setting people free from demonic activity in their life. He's breaking curses against individuals. He's doing everything he can to cause people to walk in eternal life, to know the Father and just be successful on planet crazy. That's what he does. And guess what? At the end of his ministry, uh, they decide they're going to execute him for it. And so I don't know, but here he is at the very end. And this is the part that I feel was was just beyond understanding in terms of trying to uh, empathize with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done all of this. And they say, shall we let him go? And they yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They literally, and I say they, mankind, we, rejected him at his greatest hour of modeling who he is and what he was all about. And so that rejection is something that he actually wants us to be able to have to carry some to. Because if you can identify with any individual in a place where they feel rejected and vulnerable, they will feel very connected to us and we'll feel connected to them. You know, it's interesting because in our community, sometimes I'll be driving around and I'll see people uh, begging on the street corners and, and we have people that are homeless and, and it literally breaks my heart. And there's a part of me that wants to just look away, but I really don't. I consciously make sure that when I see an individual, I look at them eye to eye because I want them to know that I see you. I respect you enough to look at you, to notice. I want you to notice that I care about you. I'm not necessarily going to give you money or give you things uh, because in, in my Thoughts. It's very likely that I might just be in, increasing your ability uh, to have to beg. And so there's individuals and in ministries that we work with that can come and help. And so I'm willing to call people and, and see if we can get help, but I'm not going to just look the other way. And I think that, that when we look at somebody, we're identifying with them. we at least creating a connection. And can you imagine how it must have been for Christ when they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And he's looking around. I just want him to know that I'm looking at him, that I care, that I want to connect on that level. And so my job now is because I wasn't alive obviously during the time of Christ's crucifixion, but my job now is to be able to proclaim that Jesus Christ really is who he said he was. That I've placed my faith in this invisible father that was demonstrated by the life of Jesus that there is a God, and remember we saw this last week, it wasn't this a God, it wasn't this relative of God, it it wasn't this nice positive uh, preacher, it was God himself who laid down his life for us. And this very God in my heart demands my acceptance. And so if I can share with others what he has done for me, if I can share my faith, if I can speak that truth in love, then I believe I have an opportunity to pick up my cross, to do my part in that area that is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. So I want to encourage each of us not to shy away from the opportunities we have to literally stand our ground, be The change that's needed for the moment and speak change and truth into the life of other people and it's interesting because I was uh, preparing for this message this week I started on last Sunday and then in the middle of the week uh, I was asked at the last minute uh, to be on a phone call with a newly elected um, person for the in the state of Washington in the uh, government and this elected official called because we've created some change in the city of Lakewood go Lakewood, man. It's pretty awesome. We're doing some things right. And so this person cared enough to call because they wanted to ask us some questions. You know, what are you doing? How's this been? And and in the course of the conversation, this was fascinating to me because I mean, this is a, this woman was very bright, really sharp lady. And she was talking about the difficulty of trying to create momentum for change. And I was listening so hard to the conversation. There's two others on the call. And it came up that they said, you know, change is really hard and it's resisted mainly because there's loss involved. And whenever there's loss, people don't want to move forward with it. They count the cost and they don't don't necessarily want to commit. And I was just sitting there listening and pondering on that and that, I think that that is true at one level, but in my life, you know what I found about change, my reluctance to change is always overcome by my ability to see growth through the change. In other words, I'm not looking at the loss, I'm looking at the gain. And if there's true gain, I'm willing to pay the price to make the change, right? And so if people are resistant, it's not just because they're seeing the loss, it's because we haven't shown them the gain. And they know that if you're going to change, changing in and of itself requires sacrifice and effort and it's hard. And that's exactly what Jesus modeled when he walked. That's why he said, pick up your cross, model the change. That's why he said, go to your neighbor, tell them. And and we get to speak it as well. And so when I shared that, I said, you know, it is difficult. And I said, I I think that people that are willing to sacrifice uh, for change are really doing something heroic. And I'm acknowledging that I want to be in that camp. I also want to make sure I do Everything I can to create a momentum for something remarkable, for something good, for something great. And I hear that uh, in the efforts that are before us in creating change in our community, I hear a lot of tired people. And I I don't hold that against anyone. It's it's interesting to me. I feel like right now, and I just I want you to ask yourself, you know the same um, question and reflect upon it, because I often hear this, that there's never been a, a time when things were harder. Uh, and, and for us, you know, a lot of us, we didn't live through World War II. We didn't live in those times, even through the Great Depression, which obviously could have been harder than now. But this, is, this has been a hard season. It really hasn't for a lot of people. This has been one of the hardest seasons that they've faced so far. So they'll say that, and then they'll also say that you know change is probably never more needed than it is right now, yet we've never felt so um, polarized or incapable of change because we're so isolated. And so change is needed, and yet the ability to implement it and to walk in it has never been more difficult. And so guess what happens to me? This is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing our communities kind of crumble. You just need to know the reality is that in most communities, the distance between the haves and the haves not, it is increasing. The amount of people that have not is growing. You need to know that the amount of people in terms of being able to be really plugged into community is diminishing. Right now, about 40% of children are growing up in a household without a father who's active in their life. So about 40% of all children are growing up in a household without a father who's active in their life. That, I mean, that has got to be so difficult. If there's ever a case for change, the case is now we need it. And so my understanding of what God's word is telling us here is make sure that you're willing to see what the change could be and go be the change, bring the change. And so only the Lord would say, you've got to enter into the sufferings and share in these sufferings. But in doing so, you're gonna do two things, body of Christ. This is what we'll do. Number one, we're gonna be able to identify with Christ more fully. He says that in this passage. We'll be able to feel more connected as we share in the sufferings. And he said, I know it's a mystery, but in doing so, uh, you're actually able to be connected to not only God but the power of God which mightily can work through us to do what to bring the change if we did this on a cost benefit analysis sheet we couldn't do it but if we actually are doing it with Christ and his powers working through us then it can happen and when it does this is what he says he says that you will not only share in the sufferings and here's the power of the message today and this is what we're going to conclude with you'll also share in the glory the lord jesus christ you're going to literally share in his glory and that's our hope christ in you the hope of glory so this is incredible to me so if i said to you could you create this change Could we do these types of things we'd look at it and say no we probably can't but i'd be willing to suffer because it's so right i'd at least be willing to do that and i think that blesses god But what he's really also wanting to do is not just to bless others through us, but he wants to be able to cause us to really understand him and all that's at stake. He wants his life in us as we're doing it. And as we're doing the things of the Lord, it says that it's actually his life in us that is creating the change. And so if you and I recognize that we can't create the change on our own, but he can in us, therein lies our glory. Our glory isn't what we can do. The glory is what he can do in and through us. In fact, it's so clear. John, we're told that if you want to see the glory of God at work in your life, then you have to walk away from the approval of man. You actually have to walk away from what people can give you and to be able to really lean into what the Lord can do through us. So I've recognized in my own life that sometimes I forfeit the glory of God because I'm concerned about what other people think. And so I'm just acknowledging that. Sometimes I forfeit the glory of God because I think I can do it on my own, and so then I settle for something less than what could happen. In this passage, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I just want to conclude by saying, do you know what it's like to have Christ in you because that's your hope that's the glory that's we were made for his glory in fact scripture says we're to go from glory to glory to glory and so i say it like this we're supposed to go from this level to that level to that level every new level we go to is what it's change it's him changing us to be more like his son so that his son's life can work through us more effectively and in that we also draw nearer to him one day we are going to be in heaven and friends we're going to have an opportunity to understand Him, to be close to Him, to connect with Him. And I believe that the more that we're connected to Him now, the more aligned we're gonna be able to understand what Heaven's like. Some of us are gonna get into Heaven and we're gonna go into shock, it's gonna be so weird. Some of us are gonna have a better idea of, yep, this is exactly uh, what I believed it would be because I experienced some of it on Earth. This week um, was a difficult week for me in some areas of being able to experience Heaven. Um, and, and I would just want to be really straightforward um, because in our church, in Redeemed Church, we have real people. It's, it's, it's not that we have an institution. In fact, right now, we don't even have our own building. And we've been through a lot in the last couple of years, but what's held us together is that we're family. And one of our family members uh, this week uh, died from COVID. And I mean, it, it was crushing. I've never seen a church pray so hard for somebody. I was so proud of Redeem. They prayed with all they had. I was so proud of the Wong family. They stayed true all the way through, and none of us backed off. None of us wanted to see uh, this beautiful man, West Wong, not be able to live through uh, COVID, and that didn't happen. And just. Couple days ago, there we are, uh, and he's passed away. And so I'm going up to the room and I'm seeing the family in the room now, and, uh, just a few minutes after he uh, passed away to go be with the Lord. And what I saw was so remarkable in terms of people that knew how to walk in the glory of the Lord. I saw a brother that was just standing there and processing and not shying away at all uh, from what was going on. He was just standing strong. And then I looked and, and I'm in this room and I look back at Wes and, and here's Wes's physical body there, but his spirit's not there. And, and there was this part of me and I just started feeling empty because it looked like there was that portion of him that was empty, that that part, the real Wes was gone. And then I looked over at his mother, and his mother is praying verses and, and just proclaiming truth right over her son. And then all, you know, all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, there's, there's the glory right there. And then Wes's son, is, he's just standing there, being strong, doing everything he can to serve every person in that room, and, and just being everything that Wes would be. And I look over and, and Melina starts proclaiming. She gives a testimony of who her dad was that put me on my knee. I literally had to take a knee because the glory of the Lord was shining through the words of a daughter. And then, you know, you look at Wes's body and then it feels empty again. And then there's his wife, Joanne, and she is caressing that body and she is thanking him for everything he did right in his life she is praying one of the most powerful prayers i've ever heard and you can feel the glory in the room and it was fascinating to me as well because when she's done she turns around and there's a nurse right there and she says to the nurse may i pray for you and she tells that nurse thank you for doing everything you can to invest in the life of my husband i don't want you to feel dejected or defeated, I want you to feel energized to be able to go and continue to try to save the lives of other people. She prays that and the nurse receives it. And the glory of the room was filled with the presence of the Lord. That's how it really works. And so I sit here sometimes and I'm just amazed that we can talk about these things as if they're not real. They're real. Life and death is real. Affliction and glory are real. We have to go through some affliction just like Wes went through it. Wes fought for over 21 days trying to overcome COVID and it took him, but the Lord took Wes, right? So let me close with this. The reality is that we're gonna face afflictions, but we're also going to be able to walk in glory. And friends, that glory can happen as we move forward and allow God to work in our lives in the hardships. And it doesn't just cause us to feel close to him, it causes others to see him. And that is the goal. The goal is to lean into the Lord. The goal is to do the work of the Lord. I just want to uh, close with the concept of the cross, because what happened is that Wes Wong crossed out of life on earth into life in heaven. And what's amazing to me is that this happens because Jesus Christ went to a cross. And in that cross that Jesus went to, he laid down his life so that we would never have to die in terms of forever. We just face a passing. We cross through from this realm to the next. And so I'm grateful for men like Wes who model it. And I'm encouraged and I want us to be able to do that as a church and I'm grateful that we have these opportunities now to not only change our community, but to be able to live a life that really matters. And what a what a, a slight thing to go through some affliction to do the right thing. What an amazing opportunity to be able to come to really know the heart of God instead of just uh, you know kind of meandering our way through life. So believers, thank you. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for the fact that For 2,000 years we've been proclaiming Christ. We get to keep up the good work. We get to finish strong. And the reality of it is, is that as we build our relationships in terms of drawing closer to the Lord and one another, His glory and His power will work through us. And I just bless you in your effort to be able to do the same. So friends, uh, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's face the afflictions. Let's be a vessel of the glory and allow allow God to do a great and mighty thing through our lives. Amen.